That would that should be like a universal option in Mass Effect. It's like you have your option, and like to the side, like put it in tight, the rape button, and then no matter where you are, you just, you just brush yourself into the person, and then the screen fades to black, and you hear crying in the background. Oh God. <laughs> Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Spoiler Alert, the show where we talk about every single detail about any game. This time, it's going to be Mass Effect 2. Uh, with me today, I have Gavin Green, our news editor on LGeek.com. Hello. Uh, I have Patrick Feng, our editor on LGeek.com. Greetings. And Justin Johnson from Radio Free Gamer. <laughs> Hi, thank you guys for having me. So let's just start off right away. Um, one of the first, you know, things I think it's important to go over with with this game is is you know the major feature, which is the import save files feature. And uh, I sort of want to know what sort of outcomes you guys came from from Mass Effect One and how that affected your game game on Mass Effect Two. Um, I chose Liara, and uh, I was not disappointed since Ashley is a huge bitch. But uh, I actually spared her. <laughs> In favor of uh, killing Caden, I um, I don't know about you guys, but I wanted to kill Caden from the moment he opened his mouth, just because his voice actor is the same uh, voice actor who did Carthon Nassi back in Nice the Old Republic. <laughs> so uh, just if you knew any what like any bit of how big a douche that character is, you'd want to kill him too. And I'm so glad I got the chance to kill <laughs> Caden because it was like killing Carthon Nassi as well. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I did, you know, Paragon stuff. I uh, saved the Rachni Queen, saved the uh, Council, all that stuff. Awesome. Who, who did you choose to, uh, to be the, um, the new Council member? Oh, yeah, I chose Anderson because, again, uh, Udina is. I, I, I would never be able to put up with him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, personally, I um, I also chose uh, Liara as the you know love interest. Uh, I was actually playing a female character, so that might have played into it a bit. Uh, but either way, <laughs> either way, it was it was a nice choice. I, I think they did 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 nicely with that. And I'm a little sad that she doesn't have a, as big of a role in Mass Effect Two as she did in the first one. Um, I chose to kill the Council or not save them, just because you know I'm not going to save three people over. You know the galaxy, so people are kind of pissed at me about that in Mass Effect Two. Uh, I also killed Rex, sort of uh, uh, accidentally. Uh, Ashley kind of killed him for me without me approving of it. Uh, but as a payback, I made sure she stayed behind behind with the bomb and and killed her off as well. So Caden is alive in my game, uh, and I'm a pretty renegade character. I love how we all started out with our love interests. It's like this is yeah. the person I found. <laughs> very, very indicative of our psychology here. 
Yeah, I'm actually not going to start that way. Just to to work, work the trend, uh, the trend as it were. Um, I was a uh, renegade male, uh, first time through. I um, killed Rex. Um, no, actually, yes, I did. Killed Rex. I uh, killed Ashley just because she's this most self righteous bigot <laughs> in the entire. <laughs> I was just very happy to see uh, see her go down, and um, I chose Liara as well for the love interest. That was nice. And again, I was um, like Moss. I was very disappointed in how that that relationship goes very unfulfilled in the second game. Yeah. Although pretty much whoever you chose in the first game, it goes unfulfilled because the human, um, if you had Caden um, or Ashley, they just show up at one point and curse you out for um, attaching yourself to Cerberus in the second game. So really. The love interest doesn't go beyond the first game, which kind of pissed me off. But um, killed the council, and I was very surprised with myself, and still very disappointed um, in choosing Udina. It, it was torturous. I regretted it immediately, despite being uh, renegade the whole way through. It's just it, 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 it hurts when you choose Udina to be part of the council. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, it no. <laughs> it was not a very and. You especially um, regret it in Mass Effect 2 because the entire universe hates you pretty much for doing so because you uh, you turn the council over into this kind of human-centric political organization, which is kind of kind of sad. But yeah, Kill the Rackland Queen just basically went renegade the whole way through. Oh, actually, I didn't kill the Rackland Queen for some reason. Uh, I thought that would be a renegade action. Um, when you uh, let Adina run the council, isn't that basically just the same as letting Anderson do it, only you know your experiences in Mass Effect 2 with them changes? Um, not necessarily. I mean, um, the way it shifts is if you kill the council and let Odina run it, it becomes this very uh, weird political, um, becomes a sharper kind of human-centric one. Whereas um, a lot of conversation options say if you kill the council and let Anderson run it, it's still like um, people still hate, uh, don't like the decision, but they always caveat, uh, they always add the caveat like, oh, Anderson's nice. So, mm. I mean, if you kill the council, yeah, you're still going to get a lot of flack from the alien races, but depending on who you... Um, who you put up for it, though you'll get a different kind of ending response to you. Okay, in terms cool. of accounts. Um, I did everything um, good that was possible in Mass Effect One. I was the the saint, pretty much. I did every good deed, um, except well, the romance. I um, I chose Ashley um, just just because. I mean, I I didn't really mind her or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, defying the norm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, okay. uh, well, also for the gameplay of Mass Effect Two, uh, they changed a lot from Mass Effect One, uh, particularly with the weapons and uh, uh, with the level design. Um, so, so how do you guys feel about the whole change in in, in tactics using the weapons, and not to mention the type of weapons you use? Well, I, I definitely liked it. I mean, it, for instance, like you're you're not shooting blindly as you were in Mass Effect One. I mean, granted, you are shooting in the general direction, but you're not necessarily hitting anything. But Mass Effect Two, like it's that you're actually what you aim at and shoot at is what you hit, and that that made sense to me. And they did pretty well in kind of like smoothing that out a little bit and. And I mean, I mean, I like the um, the new heat sink system where, if if it like, it, I mean, it's also ammo, but you're switching it out, and it it makes it for a more shooting experience, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess the consensus is that um, uh, you know in the first game you you sort of didn't have any ammo, you just had the overheat, and mm-hmm. and and in this one instead of instead of um, picking up ammo, you pick up heat sinks, and uh, you know I, I was kind of worried at first that this didn't make a lot of sense. Before I knew it was actually heat sinks, I thought it was ammo, uh, because yeah. in the first games they just you know explain how it's just little chips of rock that you shoot out. That's basically a million of them. So uh, I was kind of happy to see that. Yeah, I, I also like their um, the way they fix the cover system a little more. They they kind of emphasize that you use it a lot more often, uh, in, with the inclusion of using your powers more, which is pretty essential. Yeah, you, <laughs> you'll die if you don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I there's, like the, there's um, a little bit the uh, this, the Sorry. way they set it up with the uh, shields, barriers, and armor, and that you really have to make a balanced team. Like in the first one, you could load up a team like all combat heavy and you might not be able to pick some locks but other than that you know combat would pretty much be a breeze and in in this game if you're not really balanced between you know somebody who can burn through armor somebody who can burn through barriers and somebody who's good against Mm -hmm. shields then you're kind of hosed um so i definitely like that they encourage balance a little bit more um Mm -hmm. and as i don't really mind the ammo i think it does make it feel a lot more like a shooter where uh, um, instead of just you know firing, um, just uh, firing randomly, uh, because uh, you know at the start of Mass Effect One, you start off horribly inaccurate, even though you're a you're you know you're an elite commando and you're still really terrible with sniper rifles for some reason. <laughs> yeah, you have to train yeah. yourself up. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think you know you your shooting is a lot more accurate even at the beginning. And your uh, having ammo really kind of balances that out because yeah you're a lot more accurate but you don't get quite as many shots and you have to manage them a lot better and you have to use mm-hmm. your powers to chip away at their armor uh, barriers and shields before you can really start doing damage to their health so I like how they did that and the cover also, system yeah also if you, you if you play on a, a harder difficulty level like hard or, or insanity or something uh, you really it the the ammo stuff it really forces you to move around. Uh, the area a lot when fighting enemies because uh, you know in, in normal or easy you could basically crunch behind one piece of cover for most of the fight and just you know pick guys off as they came at you but on the harder difficulty levels you, you sort of have to move around to pick up ammo around the maps as you go out uh, yeah. and, and and I thought that was really you know I didn't do that the first time around because I played on normal but at the second time around yeah, I kind of discovered more I kind of got more sense of the you know space I was in and all that stuff and mm. you know I, I that's something else I think they really improved uh, over the first one because you know the first game had you know st- st- stock warehouses uh, you know with uh, with the boxes in between the two the stairs up to the upper level where there's a door and all that stuff and, and this one you don't really you, I mean you see the same tex- textures everywhere with boxes and, and stuff like that but the layout is always different and there's mm-hmm. always something unique and some sort of gimmick and, and you know it, it doesn't matter that it, it, it's a gimmick when it's only in one place so you know I, I, I liked it a lot I mean really the only complaint you can have about it shifting over to shooter is Aesthetically speaking, I mean everything. Everything new they implemented in Mass Effect Two was well done, mm. well structured, well um, just well designed. You have the the layout of the levels very much in the shooter fashion, so the uh, so it just all fits well with the new combat structure. I still felt a lot of uh, 
squad controls were a bit wonky. I mean, when I sent people to cover, a lot of times they went and stood on the box, which I told them mm-hmm. to, you know, sit behind. So yeah. especially with uh, some <laughs> characters, Miranda doesn't seem to understand the concept of cover in most of the places I went. But um, it's all very well designed. I would disagree with Moss because... Um, in the first stage in which you're going and doing battle, um, you're saving Tali's team, and the first time the VR mech shows up, the really big heavy one with the uh, three structures, it yeah. goes right for you, and it really kind of uh, shoves you into the idea of moving about the stage, even in the normal difficulty, I found. Um, mm-hmm. Just coming straight off Mass Effect, as I did, the original. Yeah. And again, I love the three-tiered um, armor structure. I think that was very well done. I love the, um, the, the new implementation of the power. It's a new variety there. Really wish you could um, expand on the teammate powers, though. They only got about two, maybe three, throughout the entire game. Mm. But there, um, but in terms of the advertised powers, like if you were a uh, vanguard like I was, you had the charge ability. And um, these majorly height powers, I don't think, were as well implemented as the subtler powers like barrier or your warp attacks. Because with the charge ability, um, you would single out a person and fly across the stage, ignoring all barriers and hitting them. Problem was with their stage structure, for most of the time, they would funnel in groups of uh, groups of about three to six enemies at a time so once you uh, you know you had to really either do it at the very end or you had to do it right where they're at cover and it just didn't feel like it was contradictory um, to, um on how they laid out the levels and the enemy spawning points a lot of times for that power so i think if they just uh, tweak that a little bit either in the power set or in terms of how they spawn enemies that would be a lot better but again that's a really that's a nitpick kind of point here with everything working so well and again, I didn't like the ammo, um, just because it's an aesthetic thing for me. It makes it look like another shooter. Whereas the heat, uh, whereas the overheating thing looked different, it was visually different, and it just gave it a whole different sensibility. Feel. Exactly. So it was, it was just a, um, a placation on my part. It just made me feel like I was doing something different, more sci-fy. It fit with the whole motif better. So the ammo system, or the heat sink uh, system as it is now, just um, I felt it kind of makes it all samey-samey with all the other shooters on the market. But overall, there's very little you can complain about without being an RPG diehard like me that's just pining for the loss of your element of your uh, RPG elements. Well, for me, I, I, I kind of disagree with you, actually, on, on that point, because uh, with this game, you could compare it to, you know, something like... Uh, um, if you just were able to camp behind the uh behind the cover and just shoot away because you have an infinite amount of ammo um you really wouldn't have to manage your powers effectively you wouldn't really have to manage your um yeah you you would be able to just fire and keep firing until they're out of uh shields and uh barriers and stuff um but you never were out of ammo. You never did have unloaded ammo to say with the heat sinking system. I mean, it would still fill off. You would still lose the. Uh, you would still lose the ability to fire. It's just. Uh, it's just a matter of method of implementation of showing you that there really is no difference between the two systems here. Yeah, but when it's when, just, it, it's, when uh, I get my uh, the Spectre weapons at the end of uh, Mass Effect One, uh, you know they're <laughs> these really powerful almost game-breaking yeah. weapons. Uh, you, yep. or even just the other upper-tiered weapons, you know, you don't really have to use stuff like warp anymore. You can just, you know, oh, yeah. burst fire without building up a whole lot of heat. You just burst fire until they die. And I think... Well, that seems more, that's, that seems more of a complaint on the uh, weapon uh, the weapon inventory and the uh, the menus and just the uh, the hierarchical weapon structure rather than the layout or the... Uh, the shooting mechanics, well, I mean, if, which if, I, I agree with. If I had that very powerful weapon but a limited amount of ammo per fight, 
then I'd still have to manage my powers effectively if I wanted to get through the fight. So, I mean, well, my argument here well, is that I have to rely on the stuff other than guns because I have this limited amount of ammo. Justin, mm. you played the soldier, didn't you? Yep, I played uh, I played Infiltrator, my first playthrough, and I'm almost done a uh, Insanity playthrough as, as a soldier. So I think maybe this also has something to do, because I wanted to bring out the effect of classes and, and how you experience the, the combat and the weapons. And, um, you know, I played an adept, and I used my abilities all the time. You know, every single time I had, you know, uh, uh, un, you know, uh, uh, well, I didn't. Re- I wasn't recharging the abilities. I used something uh, just because it was. I had a very short re- re- recharge time as an adept, and you know, mm-hmm. all my uh, all my powers were highly leveled up, and and uh, well, after a while, of course, and um, and very powerful. So I would you know chip away at shields. I would uh, actually. I I did. I started instead of using the powers to take out take out uh, barriers and, and shields. I, I used the. Uh, uh, minigun or uh, you know uh, submachine gun to chip away the shields and then just one shot them with a uh, biotic warp or something like that. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's a different experience. Uh, for me, I mean, I see the gameplay as not working as well if you have the heatsink for this game. But I definitely like the aesthetic of the heatsink heatsink mm-hmm. more. But you know, if I if I used if they used the heatsink in this game, I would not be able to do the things I've done. <laughs> Uh, with you know the amount of finesse I've used, uh, so I think sure. I think it was a good choice, really. I think yeah, the, with the uh, with the the advancements they made to the class structure in the second game, it all works much better now. Mm. Uh, and all you really can pine for is the aesthetic. But yeah, like you said, I mean the class structure is much more dynamic. It's much more differentiated, and there's a lot, and it adds very a lot more into the tactical aspect of shooting. Whereas in this first game, that was really kind of wonk- wonkily put in so it didn't work as well so mm, yeah, I'm yeah. A, yeah i um i yeah I, I played as an infiltrator for um mass effect 2 and like i found myself using the sniper rifle like not as much as i thought i would but when i did use it it was definitely fulfilling because i always went for headshots and yeah. those were always awesome um but i i tend to f- find myself using um uh, submachine guns with cryo ammo and that becomes your best friend especially if you have a crowd of husks charging at you and you need to drop them fast oh, otherwise God. they're just gonna don't, no, don't talk about the husks, I hate the husks <laughs> Yeah, first yeah. game and second game they were just so annoying yeah with the cryo ammo you freeze them and then they explode automatically but, oh, yeah. but seriously get the neuron shock it's it's the ultimate husk weapon that's yeah, that's Morden's power right? yeah it's just um, the problem with the husks is um, in the first game you can deal with them. You got a you got a group of about yeah I don't know at worst you had ten of them running at you at one time or five then five then five then five. Mm, Here yeah. they throw they throw you about six husks and they throw you a scion or they throw yeah. you they throw you uh, a bunch of collect uh, collectors in addition. So you got both the melee and the long range uh, enemies at the same time and it just it didn't really feel. Fair. Not that you're really going for fair in a shooter environment. It just mm. didn't. Be, it felt contradictory. I mean, it it really screwed over most tactics. Oh, and also mentioning the scions. Uh, did you guys? You know that the, they do the uh, the shock power with the ground uh, thing. <laughs> it's hard to explain. You mean they, they fire goo at you? Is that what you're saying? Uh, wait. I'm not thinking you about the, the right enemies. 
you're um you're not think you're thinking of the kind of like uh, flying enemy, the one that looks like a giant beetle esque. No, thing? I'm I'm thinking about the the big uh, you know tumor like creature. Yeah, oh so yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you think they, of the close enough to you. Yeah, yeah. And the, get... I mean, the the thing the thing about that, I thought that was just way too annoying because it's so hard yeah. to dodge because you're always in these tight yeah. corridors and you know you can't really go side to side because there's no side to side to go you know too so you have to sort of run away from it run you know backwards but that thing you know goes on for like you know 100 meters so there's no use running anywhere so you can't dodge it and it does a ton of particle damage. beam my friend particle beam is Absolutely. the best weapon against science actually what I started doing is I launched the mini nuke at them so, <laughs> the cane, uh, that, that's man. a little overkill but um like I only well, used that twice yeah I mean, oh I, I used it all the time <laughs> it's like it, it was awesome but it's amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well pretty much all the heavy weapons were that way but yeah like Patrick every time those guys showed up I'm like collect your particle beam let's do this oh yeah, and then, yeah that's because good. when you hit them with a the particle beam they didn't do anything they're frozen so I'm like yes. yeah exactly mm. so you don't have to deal with a shockwave that takes out your entire shield you don't have to deal with all that you just hit him with a particle beam and watch them die. If that's the exactly. only thing left, if that's the only thing left on the field, I take pleasure. I pull out the particle beam and I'm there for like half a minute, just like really down his health as he's hopelessly flailing against it. It was, it was very satisfying, <laughs> very, oh. uh, very visceral. That's awesome. Over. But yeah, there was great enemy variety. I was, I was disappointed to see that they took away a lot of the geth varieties. We didn't have. Um, the death, uh, the geth crawlers or the death uh, snipers. We didn't have all those geth uh, creatures that would, you know, fly up and attach to walls and then shoot you and then fly to another point. Yeah. And all we got in return was the, um, the geth hunters, which had a tactical flow. Oh, we got yeah. the uh, we got the little flying things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, on the collect side of things, it just yeah. felt like uh, I don't know why they had to take away all that. No, I'm it, talking about the. You remember on the. Uh, uh, Hellstrom or something. Uh, oh, when, when you when you get Tali, yeah, there was I, a Geth... I hate that level. <laughs> there, oh, I love that. Geth Armature, I think. On um... oh yeah, the Geth Colossus. Yeah, no, yeah, but you but you had the you had a next to the Hunter. You know, the first Hunter you meet on that level. You have the little yeah. things up in there. Oh, the, the Geth Recon drones. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, that's that's nice. But I mean, they did, they took away a lot of the Geth looking things, and, yeah. and it just yeah. wasn't the same way. Oh, where those little like spider things would hit the wall and then like snipe at you mm. and I, I hated Hellstrom because it just it was one of those levels where they kept going wave after wave after wave uh, at you like you said the first time you meet a Geth, uh, Geth Prime or a Geth Hunter there you get like 60 damn recon drones and for me I was uh, like I said I was a vanguard so my, I'm best at pistol so here I am like just taking pot shots with pistols waiting <laughs> so I can progress 10 feet to do it all yeah. over again it was it's ridiculous. Hmm. Some of the spawn points were just uh, overzealous. I did think. you have uh, Did you have throw as a vanguard? Thankfully, yes. So I used a uh, no. Um, I had pull, so I used a lot of pull. Thankfully, in that. Yeah. But um, for each of those individual recon drones, it's not worth it because it's just one pot shot. But um, okay, but yeah. so you didn't have it fully upgraded, so it did multiple enemies at a time. No, I did not. At the, not at the time. I t- I went and got tally pretty early in the game. Oh, okay. Mm. Cool. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's it for gameplay. I mean, we don't really have to go too much in depth about that. Um, I think uh, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, I want to move a little bit on to the Mass Effect universe. Um, you know, 
And if there's one thing Bioware is really good at, it's building this cohesive and unbelievable universe that you can really, you know, get into and sort of uh, start reading the backstory of the world and the characters. And, you know, they've published two novels now, is it, Gavin? Uh, yes, two, uh, well, two books on it. I mean, yeah. uh, the differentiator between the two is uh, book, what is book, what's a novel. But yeah, two books, um, a prequel to Mass Effect one, uh, 2 and a prequel to Mass Effect 1. So, okay. yeah. And you can actually purchase them in game. You get like uh, you can have them to a codex for like five credits if you go to the Citadel, which is pretty nice. Awesome, it's a cute little touch because it like listed wow. as military history, which is kind of cool. That's up my alley right there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We have the best guy to talk about that on there. Alliance <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Army uses this weapon. <laughs> we can expect an article on that coming soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Historical accuracy of Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one, one thing I, I really thought was interesting about uh, this game is, is the whole, um, especially in comparison to the first game, uh, because I, I, I really thought they sort of glazed over the, over this issue in the first game, is the whole relationship between each of the races. Um, for example, uh, they introduced the Drell in this uh, edition, and, uh, and you know, uh, Thane is an awesome character and everything. But oh, yeah. They they sort of uh, through that and through other stuff give a little backstory about how you know the Hanar and the Drell are are you know um, dependent on each other and and how the Hanar saved the Drell from extinction yet the Hanar wouldn't survive uh, today's you know uh, so, you know social structure without the Drell to support them so uh, you know all that stuff is really just so you know tightly knit together and, and interesting to me. Yeah, they really they really designed the whole process of playing through the game in order to get you all the all of these uh, social geopolitical details in. I mean, you had the Noah's Ark kind of overarching plotline where you got one representative of each race on your team, and that allowed you to dive into the um, the structure of it all. Even with Garrus, who admitted to not being a very good Turian, as it were, um, told you a lot about the process. And thankfully, you know, if you're just there for the shooter, you can very easily just branch out of it. Never just never click investigate. But uh, for those that, uh, for you know, all of us on this podcast that really, really like that kind of stuff, I mean, they really get, they really uh, came forth with that. And especially, I mean, every single character you got was just amazingly well, uh, well designed and well voiced and everything. Uh, Borden was particularly um, engaging. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, and a very good singer. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, now that you mentioned that, I'm actually going to ins- go ahead and insert that little sound bit uh, into the podcast right about now. Uh, so you guys can, uh, you know, uh, listen to that uh, for a minute. Enjoy. I am the very model of a scientist Salarian. I've studied species Turian, Asari, and Batarian. I'm quite good at genetics as a subset of biology because I am an expert, which I know is a tautology. My xenoscience studies range from urban to agrarian. I am the very model of a scientist solarian. And we're back. <laughs> Wasn't that glorious, everybody? I, I, I just found it kind of odd because at that point in the history, as they say in the history of the human race, that uh, Gilbert and Sullivan would have been about 200 years old. So what I, I, what I was kind of hoping for was they would go to the more comedic route and then pick a modern pop song or a rap song that had absolutely no significance and then 
have more than sing it all operatic and professional like like we started suddenly started singing poker face that'd be hilarious just like, <laughs> just just show, just show how um things can get um weird manipulated through history i thought that would have been a pretty interesting but of course gilbert and sullivan's cla- the, the classic you know up, uh, upper crust humor and bioware is full of doctors so it makes sense mm. it would be the kind of stuff they'd listen to <laughs> but yeah Borden's awesome. I think that's what we're getting at. Yeah, I'm really glad they uh, they kind of fleshed out a lot of the other races too. Uh, in the first Mass Effect, you know, the the Corians were the pretty much the only thing about them was like we got hosed when we created the Geth, and the Krogan were like we we're hosed because we have the Genophage, and they really didn't delve into a lot of their you know uh anything beyond that you know they ha- they were all defined by this one trait this one big thing they are dealing with but in this game you know you go to uh Tuchanka and talk with the krogans and they're you know you get a lot of detail on how they're still being krogans how they're still uh how they're some of them you don't want to deal with the gentle phage but a lot of them are just trying to live on without it and still be krogans and it's really endearing and it's more i think realistic when you see them, you know, just continuing on as normal, you see uh, a little bit more of what makes uh, what it means for um, uh, for Tali uh, having to kind of take care of uh, the migrant fleet and kind of further the cause of the Quarians, not just you know complaining about oh we have it so rough because uh, we've been living in sterile environments and uh, we're in environmental suits with no immune systems and we can't go back home because of the gas. So it, mm. although that didn't make for a really good sex story, if you, yeah. if you, if you tell, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, I, I just want to mention when you go to Chanka, and uh, if anyone stopped uh, outside uh, the shop in Chanka and listened to the two Krogans talking about um, the children coming over from oh, the settlement, oh, that man. just that was so cool. I just I love that part. I mean. Um, it's a it's a kind of give and take mechanic because um, if you're going on a mission and you walk by and one of these conversations start and if you want to hear it you have to stop and wait around and uh, for it to pan out. I mean it, it all these non cutscene or non conversation uh, conversations are a bit can can be a bit annoying if you're just running past. But but um, if you do the- take the time to stop and listen to well at least some of them. They yeah. can be really, you know, they can really help you immerse yourself with the game and and sort of appreciate everything just that much more. And even those are very well crafted. I mean, Aliens probably my favorite place because it's just so um, fluctuating. You have the you have the announcements of the trailer for like the uh, Hanar Specter movie that's, yeah. all, uh, that's racist <laughs> against them, which is hilarious. And then you go and then you hit another emotional um, moment where you go past this um, this uh, what's what's the term um, this memento kiosk. And you're listening to a Solarian talk to his Asari daughter about getting his, uh, getting her mother a gift, a memento of him before he dies. Mm. Because Asari lived for a century and Solarians lived for 40. I mean, there's, they're very well scripted, even though they're just, just right on the periphery. And that's the kind of thing, like you said, that just really involves you in this world. And they're all over the place. It's, it's really in depth and, um, just the amount of them is, Unmatched. Uh, you don't really get that anywhere else except a Bioware game. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I was I was thinking about another. Uh, also on Ilium, you have the because you know there's the other side of this as well. You have the conversation between the two stock um, stockbrokers uh, by the kiosk, 
and oh, yeah. how how they're how the the Volus is basically exploiting uh, uh, the you know demise of human settlements and and making you know uh, getting rich off it. And you know I, it, it's not as powerful and it's it, it's not as necessarily interesting to stand and listen to. But I like that they have it there anyway. They, they sort of you know build both both sides of the world and show off you know both sides of just you know much like the renegade and paragon system it's sort of equal true but uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up a point here that's probably gonna get me a lot of flack from literally everyone that listens here but i prefer the elevator rides (laughs) i do i'm sorry i don't prefer them as long you can't you can't tell me that in three years they could have just had them and shortened them get even by half or even more but you um the story structure is so mission by mission this time around it just feels so segmented so fragmented whereas in the previous one it was much more exploratory even in these uh even in these very long loading screens you can still pan the camera around you're still in character you're still in world and at times you know you got news that could give you a mission over the speaker on the elevator you can hear people talking just uh have a random conversation on the elevator and it just it just felt like it continued the experience it didn't it didn't cut it off I mean, the, wor- the worst thing, I think, one of the worst things I just can't stand about Mass Effect 2 is at the end of every mission, you get that inane, useless mission summary page from Cerberus. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's just like, it feels too much pandering to the shooter crowd. If you don't know what you did in the last two hours, don't buy a fucking RPG. I mean, what, <laughs> there's no point to this. It, it's just, it's incredibly frustrating. It just feels, it just takes you out of that experience. And when the, the experience is so good, you just feel that kind of like pulling out even more. Mm. Yeah, I think it is. Another thing I oh, go ahead. I was going to say another thing I want to bring up about uh, the you know because the, the the end mission screens a lot of you know their purpose is to sort of give you Cerberus' impression of you know what happened on the mission. Uh, but but one thing I wanted to mention: Did anyone actually remember Cerberus from the first game when they started the second game? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, oh yeah, because you, you had to do like all these different missions. I mean, they, they mention, um, what's this, Admiral Kohoku and how he got yeah. screwed over and, and. Yeah, you really uh, had to go into the side missions to get them, but they were, they were all over the place in the first game. So okay. it wasn't like they just like, they came it's, out of nowhere, thankfully. Yeah, and I don't know if any of you guys check like your unread messages and stuff, but like you get, depending on what happened to one of your side missions in the first one, you save you. You keep a corporal from killing one of the Cerberus doctors. Oh yeah, and, right. Uh, Toops. Yeah, and and he um he he sent he sends you a message because he finds out that you're working for Cerberus. He's like, yeah, I just recruited a new team, and if I ever if I ever see you, I'm gonna be forced to kill you. Like basically, he's like, yeah, screw you. <laughs> Which is nice. I mean, th- these were obviously things they implemented at the last minute just to continue rounding out the universe, or they could pan out in the third game. So it was nice to see all these little hints back at the first game, even if they weren't as uh realize as we would hope yeah as mm-hmm. we would hope but they mm-hmm. they did a lot i mean this wasn't just a very simple kind of like um a very simple structure where it's uh, they only take over your main decisions from the first game they remembered all the side missions um yeah. garris um i actually went back and replayed mass effect one um very quickly just to get another paragon uh, paragon character to use and i didn't do any of the side missions and garris had uh, garris and tally had about 60 different line uh, 60 different line changes just because they didn't have all those side men- uh, mentions of things that happened in the first game, so they seemed they actually talked a lot less, which is interesting. Yeah, so, I, I mean, yeah. I actually remember not doing as many side missions uh, in the first game. I did uh, a lot, you know, I did you know almost all of them at first. 
you know, the ones that were available at first when I started up the game and, you know, the first part of the game. But then they sort of, you know, that was a problem with Mass Effect 1 compared to Mass Effect 2. It's just so much of the same in Mass Effect 1. You know, same level design, same uh, basic uh, objective, just, you know, another very short and, 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 you know, um, sort of uh, inflated backstory. Um, I, take it you didn't like, I didn't like. I take it you didn't like the Mako mods. Well, well, the thing, the thing with Mako, I, I liked the idea with the Mako. I liked the whole planetary exploration. I liked the big vistas and and finding the stuff in the dirt and stuff like that. I didn't like the fact that the stuff you found in the dirt was the same three things each time. That was either a resource, uh, a you know crashed satellite, or a dead body, or body or something, you know. And and I liked the scale of it all, but I think the Mako's controls were horrible. I think they should have oh, found. I don't think they were that bad yeah they were a bit I, it's, it's you know if, if you if you do a car game you never you never uh, you never make the left wheels uh, run by pressing the left button and the right wheels run by pressing the right button you, well, you weren't wheels. expecting Gran Turismo there, were no, you? No, no, but still. But still <laughs> no. You make it. You make it kind of fun when you're supposed to be uh, doing this for you know half. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, really. I mean, once you get your first time in the Mako, you know that if you come across a Thresher Mall, you drive the fuck away. But uh, yeah, I yeah, actually yeah, do that. Really I tight. actually fought them in one. <laughs> yeah, I did too, but it's just really torture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Funny but, story. Um, um, I I thought the Mako only had the. Um, the chain gun as its primary weapon and I didn't know that you could fire rockets with it so I was I was always fighting stuff with a machine gun so it always took twice as long to kill things <laughs> did you like find so, a rocket like at the end at, at, like, yeah, I love yeah. or something you accidentally hit you're like oh my god yeah I'm like oh I had this all along and like I, I got really mad because like I killed all these threshing walls with like machine guns but it always took me like 20 minutes to kill them hey that was, that's probably more impressive though for it you should have gotten a, an achievement for that mm, yeah seriously <laughs> but i think um i think what we miss I, I think we miss a lot of that exploration feel in the second game because even with the side missions it just cuts directly to your little shuttle landing i think if they would somehow implement the exploratory segments where you can I, even if you're just flying the shuttle around and uh, so you can get those vistas and you can get the different because it, it afforded bioware a lot of these great opportunities to have these little little mini levels where you can have all these different kind of environmental effects like asteroids in the background or um, different kinds of fog or different kinds of um, rocky structures. So it afforded them a, and it, it afforded them these easy kind of differentiating levels. And you know, if you can just bridge those two gaps, you would, uh, it would be absolutely perfect. Well, to me, you know what I, whenever you, you went know, to a, a planet, you know, it wasn't like it was this well-designed uh, planet. It was just like a, a thing with valleys and 90 degree slopes that somehow you had to pull the Mako over <laughs> and, and then oh, it was yeah. just overlaid with a different texture you know a, a grass texture or a volcanic texture it wasn't like all these things were really well designed um, it, yeah but think about you know how nothing really was really well designed graphically at least in Mass Effect 1 well true yeah, yeah and I mean, when, once how everything loaded, is how almost everything is in Mass Effect 2 you know if they yeah. if they did the same I think it could be really interesting but more importantly I, I don't think it would work uh, with the same kind of transportation what I'd actually I just came up with this right now what I'd actually like to see is tunneling I'd like to see you you know 
piloted drill of some sort, uh, and and you tunnel and you know discover caves of of you know, of, you know crystals and stuff like that. Uh, it wouldn't have. So to you be- want so you want a crossover between Mass Effect and Dig Dug? <laughs> 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 Maybe a little mini game with a little shepherd in the suit, well, like no, no. But but, but seriously, you know, imagine, imagine the uh, this wouldn't be some sort of a you know. Um, a collector game or something like that. You you just um, you know as you tunnel through, you gather resources, but you wouldn't you know be able to do it for that much. And then once in a while, you discover uh, through radar or or sonar or whatever, <laughs> you discover you know huge you know caves that you could go and explore. That is kind of cool. And that, I mean, it allows that, you a lot of you know, Yeah, yeah, because that would you know allow for a very specific level design, and it would yes, allow like for and crystals. Yeah, yeah. But you, it would also allow for, you know, this huge vista as well, because you could do some above-ground stuff as well. Absolutely, but you bring up a good point you know, by mentioning the phrase resource gathering. And that brings up my, the most hated and worst aspect of Mass Effect 2, which is simply planet scanning. Yeah. Dear God, planet scanning. I much prefer you just, like, when you were in the uh, the galactic map. I, I know it wasn't interactive, but it made you feel more like a captain. You just clicked and you went to the you went to the system, you clicked on a planet, you scanned, it was done. Whereas in this game, you have to, it's just, it's tedium incarnate. And yeah, you can get, you know, the upgrade from Miranda that makes it go faster. Yeah, you don't have to look at, um, for any of the planets that don't have a rich scanner result or something like that. You can just go for the most. But bad design is bad design. It's just, it's, there's nothing much to it. And the requ- it's just too required to get the necessary updates to progress. Because if you don't do it a lot, you get really screwed over because you don't have the health, you don't have the damage for the weapons that you need, and it's just it just feels like they're just shoving this in our face. Basically, and if you don't do it, you can't import your save to Mass Effect 3 because Shepard will die. Yeah. Exactly, you can't so get the updates to your ship that you need. So, to go to the so and, and I mean, I, I totally agree with this. The the uh, And I, I kind of got addicted to it, not because I thought it was fun, because I'm a completionist. I have to have every single up. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. And, when you, and when you do it like that, that two minutes it takes to do the one planet turns into two hours because you're going to every single system and yeah. every single planet. And it's just, oh, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm putting videos on my computer just so I can actually physically be doing something while I'm doing it like one handed in the background, like you know, <laughs> just like hitting the probes, like I mean, out of my yep. eyes. You imagine yeah. the boardroom meeting at Bioware when they had this idea. And, you know, the talking points were, you know, um, resource gathering, Tyrion, Tyrion incarnate, you know, it's, it's, it's just, who thought this was a good idea? A game is supposed to be fun. You should have I think, fun I think no matter what you're doing. Said, I think one of the uh, developers just said, wait, hold on. Are we making a game that's just too awesome? I think we need to tether it somehow, because otherwise <laughs> it's just going to blow people's minds. We need something there that reminds people that this is that this is still just a game. We're not. We don't want to try to be too innovative. I, I think that think that's what happened. I think they no, just I see, needed I something. I, I, you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, they were scared of going too far away from the RPG formula, so they needed more numbers. Hmm. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but that more was probably numbers. <laughs> yeah, that was probably another complaint that a lot of RPG fans had. I mean, they came from the first game, which was equally a kind of RPG and tactical shooter, and here it feels much more like a tactical shooter with RPG elements. I mean, with uh, with the upgrades, it's much more streamlined, it's much more simple, and there's just not a lot of point allocation, and that's a lot. I think that's a lot of 
what people liked about the first game, even though the, min- the inventory system wasn't fun or upgrading the weapons may have not been fun, especially you had, you had to pick up like 20 different things um, in each level. And, it, and it, But um, it just seems too simple this time around. It, it feels like it was too simple to be worthwhile. Like if this is all you're going to give me, don't even bother. Yeah. At least that's what I thought. I mean, like if you're not going to let me give like a branching kind of path, I mean, even God of War or... Um, uh, it, or Dante, uh, Devil May Cry, all these action games have branching paths, have these kind of upgradable skews that you can do, and it just felt so regimented, so um, so just bland in this time around. Was- yeah, but I think they did that specifically on purpose because they well, wanted absolutely. to craft this very very cohesive experience that you know, even though no one would have the same experience, everyone would have the same uh, response. Yeah. You know. that so, so, so they they really wanted to make sure that you know the action was tight all the time. Everything was scripted to the point of perfection, and and I think it was. I I can't remember one encounter that you know I thought was you know bad. True. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, you got talking. It, 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 it was it, all very well done. Yeah. It, it, it. You know, the encounters with the enemies, for example. You know, uh, there 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 were. Plenty that were frustrating, but it was the good kind. It was the I failed to do the right thing kind. It wasn't the the game is broken kind. So it was a it was a Demon Souls kind of frustrating. Yeah, like yeah. oh, I fucked up, but I know exactly how and why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so I, I don't. So so I, I think you know they decided to focus on that and where they sort of because you know if they didn't, then this would basically be Dragon Age, and I don't think they'd want sure. to you know from the same game to the next just updating the you know graphics so you can take the major plot points of each game and connect them in like 20 different ways yeah but you can't yeah but you can't take the basic uh game design no no it's totally different yeah so yeah yeah like i think you said they went for a very cohesive tight experience and unfortunately a lot of the uh, point allocation that a lot of people may have liked from the first game kind of got thrown on by the wayside in that respect yeah yeah. So it was it was necessary, and I and I think the game is better for it. It's just you know it's again an RPG diehard moaning at the you know the loss of his favorite stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, right. I don't really complain about it too much because you do get when you choose the your, your loyalty power and stuff. You do get a pretty good amount of customization, and you don't get to max out everything. But um, mm-hmm. sure. you know, well unless you do you know unless you do the new game plus feature, in which case you're right. maxed out by, like the second level. And I don't know why people <laughs> do that this game. <laughs> Well, Unless you wanted the level, level 30 achievement, which makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. if you're doing this on, on like Insanity, then you have to be very conscious about what you're putting, putting points into. So uh, it, it you do have to focus on it a little bit more um, at the higher difficulty levels, and there is a decent enough amount of customization. I mean, in the first game, how many throwaway abilities were there? There were just ones that were god-awful that you'll never use. So yeah, I think it's, it's easy enough to just cut out some of those... Or just put them into um, like different aspects of the game. Like instead of up- upgrading your damage power, um, uh, <laughs> instead of just upgrading your your weapon damage through uh, abilities, just do it through the upgrades. You know, uh, things like that. Yeah. I just want to bring people in on why I started laughing because it's really easy to see when uh, when someone starts reading something while they're processing thoughts, <laughs> like Justin just did. <laughs> 
Oh, come on. Don't be mean to Justin. He's <laughs> no, our guest. No, I would do the same thing. <laughs> it's not an insult. It's just a fun notation. Okay, um, you're both a little bit of fun. But <laughs> I, think we've, I think we've maxed out the, uh, all of our points here, I think. Yeah. But, um, like... Um, we said, I mean, the side missions are still excellent. It was just like maybe a bit more expo- exploration features in Mass Effect 3. Yes, I think we could all agree that would be. Uh, yeah, pro- yeah, I think it'll probably be a, a hybrid of um, elements of the first and second one. Like they'll they'll still do the um, like planetary survey thing, but at the same time, you can you'll be able to go back down to the planets it's, themselves and drive around and stuff like that. That'd be cool. I think they'll. Mm. They'll, they'll and, try to find some sort of balance with it. I mean, and according to Mops, you'll be able to dig for stuff. You'll be able to be a prospector. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a prediction. <laughs> that's not just a dream. <laughs> but planetary type. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Patrick. It's like a, a, Sid, a Sid Meier game. <laughs> <laughs> no, but since we're talking about predictions, uh, I want to kind of move on to the main story, and you know. In, in Mass Effect 2, you, you do have to make a lot of more, I think, moral choices than in the first game. You do have to, you know, uh, consider the ramifications of, of, of your actions just because now you definitely know for sure that this will carry over to Mass Effect 3. And uh, so I, I just wanted to, to know what kind of choices did you guys make and, and how do you think that will affect Mass Effect 3 and uh, what do you think will happen in Mass Effect 3 based on your choices? Mm. Well, there's just so many of those little decisions that you made. Yeah, yeah, well, let's start with the big ones. <laughs> I think your base. Oh, yeah, let's the, start with the end game uh, where you uh, yeah. decide whether to destroy or keep the collector base. Which, in hmm. case, you know, that that means either directly giving it to the elusive man in Cerberus or destroying it completely. So, um, so me, my first time, like uh, choosing choosing Odina in the first game, I chose to keep the base and give it to um, give it to the elusive man. Which, if you actually continue playing after the credits. You, it just gets hammered into you how stupid that was of you to do. Even the uh, <laughs> former Cerberus diehards like Miranda are like, I'm not sure we made the right decision. The other characters are like, you just fucking killed us, man. <laughs> this is very stupid, man. So it's just like, it's very foreboding if you give the elusive man face, especially at the final cutscene where he's like doing that little sly smile while he's looking at a, a vector graphic of it. Mm-hmm. It's just, Shepard, Shepard feels you really have, <laughs> you really have to get faded to the renegade if you want to do that. And I mean, uh, I did the same thing. I gave it to the Illusman just because, you know, um, I don't know. I, I kind of thought that you might as well use technology and, you know, it's better that some humans have it than, you know, we destroy it, even though they might not have the clearest motives. Uh, but, but I, I, I too did regret, regret it afterwards because I talked to Joker and Miranda and I actually had to kill Jacob. So, um, it's, oh, right, it, the end game, right? Yeah, so, so, uh, um, it's just, uh, to me, I, I wasn't really sure that Cerberus would turn bad because it seemed like Cerberus had this sort of rationalized view. Uh, where, you know, they looked out for themselves, which in turn is humanity, but they didn't sort of, you know, discriminate at the same time. Uh, I just think it's, I think you, I think you're being too European here, Mops, because the entirety <laughs> of the illusion man at Cerberus is meant to stroke the American sensibility that, oh my god, this guy's too private enterprise, he's evil, he's evil! He's like <laughs> um, Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But I, I think it's, it's, it's hammered in pretty hard that that was, um, Cerberus is going to be uh, shifting motivation a bit in Mass Effect 3. Yeah. 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 So, in the first, did anyone, uh, I, did anyone it, destroy the base? Yeah, I, I destroyed it in my first playthrough. And I'm wondering, 
they, they kind of make it so that uh, you're, you're expecting servers to come uh, gunning after you in Mass Effect 3, but I'm really wondering the extent to which they will do that. Um, I'm thinking that it's probably going to end up in Mass Effect 3 just being like a one side mission where servers, mercs catch up with you or something. Or um, uh, I, I don't really expect a whole lot to come of it. And I think it's like the difference will be, you know, at the end of Mass Effect 3, if you gave the elusive man the station, then, you know, he'll turn on, uh, he'll turn on you at the end of 3 and you'll have to fight him at the end of 3. Um, but if you destroy the station, then he'll come at you at some point, random point in three, and it won't be dogging you the entire game, but you'll just have to fight it once either way, either at the end or, uh, at some point. I think, I think that's pretty interesting because what you're basically saying is that, uh, based on the last big decision, uh, of Mass Effect 2, the entire story, the entire main plot of Mass Effect 3 would change. And dramatically so, not just little nuances. So, I, I kind of, I kind of support that. I, I'm not sure if that's how it's going to play out, but I wish it would. Yeah, I, I really wish it would change. Like, you would be on the run for like the entire game. I wish it would, mm. something would change that dramatically. But I, I just have this sneaking suspicion that it's going to be like one mission where all of yeah. a sudden you're being attacked by Eclipse Mark or by a uh, Cerberus Marks. And, uh, mm. yeah. It'll be a pivotal mission, but yeah, it won't. It'll yeah. be a fine kind of re- revelation towards the end. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we've already. I think we can pretty much point out every single side mission that will be in Mass Effect Three, like Patrick and I said, based on your emails, because that yeah. is where they're probably going to go to the drawing board first. You're going to mm. meet uh, Corporal Tombs, and he's going to try and kill you, or you're going to meet um, all these other people that um, said that they're going to kill you. You're going to meet up with all these other people from the first game. And I think that's where they're going to go to first, in addition to giving us side missions. So if you want to see what you're going to be playing in Mass Effect 3, just go back and look at your red, your archive messages. In your uh, yeah. I also suspect that Rachni will become your um, your sort of um, go-to defense of the galaxy. Because, you know, they yeah, can like, multiply very quickly. The, the Rachni Queen, yeah. yeah. Like, they'll, they'll, so they'll definitely come into play. Because, I mean, you, you, see, the, um, you see the Asari... Um, Slave puppet for, thingy. For, the, for the Rachni, yeah. Yeah. On Ilium, so you, you kind of have that hunch that the Rachni might play some sort of role in the next one. Well, yeah. if you didn't kill the Queen. But yeah, I mean, right, is it gonna right. be, is it gonna be like a, uh, an e- a Lord of the Ring eagle moment where like they they ride in on mass at the base at the end with like Ride of the Valkyries in the background? I think it's, or, I think it's more gonna be like, uh, imagine you made a uh, pact with the Starcraft Zerg. You know, they'll just, you know, uh, more of a, you know, the Lord of the Ring ghosts, more of that kind of situation where they just so suddenly overflood the Reapers. Right, right. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they, the reason they were such a threat to the galaxy is the same reason the Krogan were such a threat to the galaxy. They multiply so extremely quickly. So, you know, that was a big, you know, um, you know, catch with them. Well, you can say different. Uh, you can claim difference in their mentality. I mean, Krogan yeah. don't necessarily have that hive mind, but yeah, they're equally dangerous. Mm. And in terms of the Krogan, I think um, both if you let Rex live and he became the leader of the Krogan, or if you didn't, if you killed Rex and there's another person, uh, Michael Dorn, as the leader of the Krogan, I think that's going to um, progress in the third game. And you're going to see a unified force of Krogan, mm. and oh, then you can probably yeah. and then. Based on Tally's loyalty mission, you can probably expect a um, migrant fleet attack on their homeworld, trying to recover it from the Geth. And like in Legion's loyalty mission, I think the key to it is uh, all, all the loyalty missions kind of give the major plot points for the next time around. 
like yeah. Legion talking hmm. about the difference between the loyal Geth to the Reapers, the ones that worship them, the heretics as he calls them, or yeah. as it calls them, and the real Geth. I mean, you can see if you didn't destroy the the heretics, they're probably going to have a conflict. And I mean, yeah, the real Geth are kind of justified for 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 wanting to. Uh, I mean, all they did was defend themselves against the Kukorians. Yeah, really, sure. I mean, they're not that bad of, of a species, I guess, if you can call them that. So, so I, I think you know these um, these sort of gray areas will really be explored in the next game, <laughs> and you know both the Ragnar and the Geth are these are now these gray areas. So I'm wondering yeah. if maybe they'll they'll sort of make you ally with them on a larger sort of army scale. If they'll so- do some sort of uh, do some sort of a, full-scale conflict kind of thing. So do you think it will be like a larger version of Mass Effect 2 plotline, where it's to go to each of these segmented racial kind of areas of the galaxy in a mass, instead of one character? An army? Mm-hmm. Like I think you go to the migrant be... fleet, you, you help them take over, the, um, take over their home world, and then you take the migrant fleet with you to fight the Reaper fleet. I think that would be awesome. Oh, yes, yeah. I think they need to do something big scale for the last game in the trilogy. And I think the last level needs to be a Star Fox esque ship, uh, starship battle. <laughs> I, I, I think like, it'll... with like Garrus coming on like in a little panel going, "Do a bear wolf, Shepard." <laughs> <laughs> it, it'll definitely be pretty interesting to see some sort of epic like alliance of all races. You see all their fleets massing together, getting ready for a final showdown. I mean. Mm. That'll be really, really cool. I mean, it'll definitely pale in comparison to what we saw in the first one. Um, but yeah, it would be cool to see the, the Asari's main ship leading the rest of the Asari fleet and all that. And, also, did you, guys, did you guys notice that in the control menu, I don't know if it's on 360, but it was definitely on PC, you have vehicles, vehicle controls. Really? But you don't have any vehicles you can control in the game. So I, I don't DLC. know if... I don't know if it's going to be DLC or if they're going to use the exact same engine for the. But you bring up, you bring up a good point though, Mots. If you recall, even after you get all of your team members, in terms of DLC support, um, yep. there's still one room left closed on the Normandy, and there's one spot left on your uh, team selection screen. Mm. So, in terms of, we we still have a lot of the story to uncover, not in Mass Effect Three, but in the DLC. And personally, right. like B said, it would be a really cool thing if you didn't destroy the Rachni that your final team member it, through DLC is a Rachni soldier. Mm. That'd be kind of <laughs> cool. Or maybe even a Varen, like a like an intelligent sentient Varen. That'd be kind of cool. Or a Batarian. Oh, yeah. that's just yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they did uh, they did bring him in in the previous DLC, so it would make sense for them to come back that way. Yeah. But um, I think we I think we kind of skip talking about the story of Mass Effect 2. We did, actually, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's actually kind of... I think that's actually a, kind of a point you can make about it. Like like in any middle child or sophomore... Um, I wouldn't call it sophomore slump. But any sort of middle in the trilogy, it's, it's difficult to find the sort of finality with Mass Effect 2's story because it has to take so much from the first game and uh, build up so much for the third game that in between... All you get is like um, they smartly implemented Loyalty just missions. these little vignettes, loyalty missions, little vignettes about these characters. And in that way, I don't think you can really have that kind of re- uh, reset button like you had in Mass Effect Two, where Shepard just dies and everyone leaves. Mm-hmm. I think that you really, I think you're going to be seeing a lot of these, um, a lot, if not all of these characters, porting over to Mass Effect Three, if not in your team in a major role in the story. Well, not I like, don't, I don't, I think. Um, Probably more than um, Thane will be gone, just because yeah. of their finalities. They'll die. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I, I know Morden could survive five years still, probably. So I mean, he could be there. I, he I could be like like walking in crutches like this ancient. I villain. certainly hope because he is the coolest character in the Last <laughs> Universe. Yeah, I don't know. He, it's between him and the elusive man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, characters will die, but you really you can't spend an entire game building up the intricacies of these characters to just dismiss them so well, I think, haughtily I think, like they did think, for the first game characters. I think, that, I think they did that for two reasons. I think they'll bring a lot of them over to the third game, but I also think they wanted to attach you to the characters so that when they died at the end game, it would mean something. Mm. True, I mean, everything was a kind of a build-up to that suicide mission, but, yeah. I mean, assuming that you do the best thing and actually uh, have everyone survive, congratulations if you did, that's impossible. That's but, very hard, yeah. yeah. That's me. I got everybody to survive. Asshole. And now I hate you, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really think that there's going to be a lot more carryover from 2 to 3 than there was in 1 to 2. But yeah, let's get back to the story. Let's actually talk about it for a minute. Um, you know, so... so uh, the basic yeah, plot points of this is that the collectors have um, are now working for the Reapers, and and after a while you find out that the collectors were actually Protheans. Um, and, and one of the things they bring up, you know, uh, often the the sort of general of the collectors, which actually turns out to be a Reaper, um, takes control of one of the collector minions in the battlefield, and will actually talk to Shepard and sort of. Um, um, say your name and, 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 you know, intimidate you and all that stuff. And, uh, one of the things he says is, this is your genetic destiny. So I sort of also feel like it's, it's going to end up that, you know, the, the whole point is to, is to harness the humans so that, uh, they'll be the next collectors, as well as building the human reaper. Indeed. That seems like a good idea. I mean, uh, I don't necessarily think Shepard's going to become a chosen one kind of um, trope, but I definitely think since they spent so much time um, leaving the characterization of Shepard up to the player, it, um, and at the same time harping on humans being this most generic, genetically variable people, it could become that Shepard has been targeted specifically by the Reapers, not only just because he or she killed one in the first game, but because he or she represents... The yeah, the, yeah, the epitome or ideals of humanity, mm. which is not, which isn't necessarily morality or philosophy, but just the adaptability and just the variability of it all, mm. which I think is probably plausible. But again, this is all conjecture. We have absolutely no nothing to back it up. Well, when you look awesome. at, at that, just this archetype that you know, it's not their fault that they've kind of fallen into this, this Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, you know, Arthurian type archetype where you have. The chosen one, and you know they might not outright call him the chosen one, but he fulfills the same role where he is mm. the you know the one, the neo, whatever you want to call it, um, and uh, you know he might not they, they might not outright call him that, but he is, and I, I don't blame them for for falling into this kind of trap where you know at the end there's the unified nations, the all the free peoples in the universe fighting against the the reaver and uh, reaper invasion. Uh, but in there, invariably, that's what it's going to come to, and uh, I don't blame them for falling into that kind of trap. And they've done a great job just separating it out into little details, just flushing out oh, this universe. Yeah. So, my uh, way speciality is is minutia, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that's where they've done a fantastic job, and you can pretty easily tell where the plot is going to go in the third one, but you still really want to see it happen, and uh, mm. I'm really looking forward to it. 
And actually, yeah. that is the most amazing thing because other really plot-heavy games, for example, Metal, Metal Gear, they thrive on the mystery. You have no idea what's going to happen, yeah. and yeah. and and that's how they keep you entertained. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's a horrible story. I think it's one of the greatest stories games have ever, to- ever told. But mm-hmm. I'm a fanboy. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, my point being that you know it, it's it's quite a feat to do what what Bioware has done um, with Mass Effect, where where you sort of uh, it's more about the world and the experience and the personal relationships than it is about the main story, uh, you know. Because I mean, I mean you, Justin, you said you wanted to see it happen, but do you really want to see it happen, or do you want to see how the characters react to it happening? Uh, both, honestly. Yeah, I think it's it's the explosion off screen and the people looking at it. Both of those components are what Bioware is going after. Mm. I think that, of course, uh, goes to their the greatest thing they got the best uh, they did the best facial mapping I've seen yet. Um, the graphical upgrades have helped them immensely. I mean, these little um, conversation segments are the reason you really play Mass Effect because mm. if you're going for a tactical shooter, let's be honest, there are better ones out there. You mm. want you know a, an engaging experience with plus the story side. I mean, even with all these grandiose moments, what are your favorite your favorite bits of Mass Effect Two? I can tell you mine. It's it's sharing the ice brandy with Doctor Shockless. Absolutely no conflict in it. Absolutely uh, no shooting or even an RPG element. It's just talking with this older woman and musing about just these uh, this military history. And it's just so well uh, voiced, so well directed. And yeah, you got your graphical glitches. You got your so um, pseudo bad mocapping. But um, there's just so much thought and effort put into those moments that they just shine out for you, even even though you're saving the universe in the meantime. My favorite moment is when Thane recounts events. Oh, that little like the um, the jarring close-up camera shots. Yeah, because like he's he has basically eidetic memory. So yeah, yeah. when he when he recounts, you know, in the minutia of the detail of you know something that happened uh, forty years ago, it's just um, and and the way they do that with the flashing lights and the blinking eyes and and the facial animation. It's hard to explain, but uh, but it's it's. It's so unreal. It's so unreal that it's real, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, Thane has a really cool assassin moment where he's yeah. like praying, and then two people walk by and he disappears. It's so cliche, but you gotta love it. I mean, everything yeah. about the story is cliche, but they—it's just pulled off so well mm. and with so much detail that you just and you get enveloped in the in the in the stereotype. Which makes me question why they're thinking about doing a Mass Effect movie. Because it's a movie, basically. It's it's the same argument with Metal Gear. This is a movie, but it's it's an interactive movie. I mean, yeah. you have you have dialogue, you have action. I mean, it, the you have basic elements that make make it a great movie. Mm. I yeah, but uh, with Bauer, I think they're not gonna like try and remake a game. They're just gonna make a supplemental story with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind necessarily, but like you say, I mean. Um, with future releases like Heavy Rain coming out with um, all these stories and their games, I really don't think that there can be this transition that everyone wants between games and movies. I don't think it's going to be, um, it's going to be, oh my god, this game's so good, I wish they make it a movie now. It's just going to be um, a, a game will be able to exist wholeheartedly within its own medium and satisfy all those kind of, uh, all those kind of desires from its audience. All right, but we're getting off topic here, so uh, let's just um, let's round this out with uh, with you know ending um, ending uh, statistics. Basically, what did you guys uh, choose to do? Uh, who died at the ending? And and oh, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, you want me to go since I admitted that I'm going to be sad? Yeah. Thank you. 
Um, well, um, one one week, one more point before I actually do the um, uh, actually do the in game. Sorry, sure. uh, the damn trigger moments with the uh, Paragon and Renegade moments. I either do it more often in Mass Effect Three or don't do it at all. They were just yeah. so sporadically implemented; it just wasn't worth it. Although, yes, because I saw all the damn trailer trailers the first time I was playing, I pushed the guy out of the window just because you have to. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in terms of the end game, I was really good. I only lost one person, and um, it was Legion. I uh, put Legion in the uh, in the tunnels in the, as the, my tech specialist. And even though I saved him, I um, opened up all the vents when he needed to. He still died by getting a shot at the head when the door was like an inch from closing. I'm like, God mm. damn it. Mm. And I think it's because you get Legion so late in the game that if you progress immediately to the end game after doing his loyalty mission, you don't get all those conversations that you need to make him as loyal as possible. Mm. So I think that was my fault. But everyone else uh, survived. I chose Miranda to lead the uh, rear guard in the second mission. Um, and the first time when you first go in, I chose Zaid to lead the secondary team. And in terms of the final battle, I brought Mo- uh, Morden and Thane with me. And uh, as I said, I, I I gave the base to a loose man. Mm. Uh, personally, I um, I um, <clears throat> sent uh, Jacob through um, to deal with the engineering stuff in the first part, uh, <clears throat> and he died. He got a rocket to the face just before the door, door was about to close as well. <laughs> so, nice. So uh, that, that's fine. No but, one likes Jacob. Yeah, I didn't like Jacob. So that that was kind of <laughs> okay. I, I kind of predicted that that was the outcome because you know <laughs> seriously he volunteered for the mission, right? Um, but Miranda objected because he wasn't experienced enough. So I said, yeah, you want to do it? Go ahead, do it. You'll die, fucker. <laughs> so, uh, so I did that, and, uh, and other than that, no one died. Uh, I sent um, Saeed to deal with the, um, the, the uh, you know, distraction, and he basically is the most experienced guy on the team, so he made it out with everyone alive and all that stuff. I did not uh, save the, um, the crew. Oh, you didn't which save I, Dr. Chocolate's? Which, which I wish, man. Which, which I wish I did, but I sort of want... You know, go. That would be the best decision. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I kind of regret it, because I kind of had a romance thing going with Kelly, so, yeah. Oh, best romance <laughs> ever. Best yeah. romance ever. She feeds your fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but other than that, and I gave the uh, the uh, ship to to Cerberus, which I regret as well. Uh, but I mean, uh, at the same time, I, I kind of feel like if everything worked out perfectly, then Mass Effect Three wouldn't be as interesting. True. So, good point. Yeah. <laughs> was that was that a slight at me or something? Or yeah, like. Take it out on the guy that had everybody survive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Save the world. He put effort into the game. Hate him. He's evil. <laughs> <laughs> I- I'm a perfectionist. I got to admit. I-, I mean, everything has to work out right um, for me. But um, uh, now that I'm talking, I guess I'll talk, yeah. talk about what I did. Um, so I um, for the the tunnels, I sent Legion in um, and. My uh, distraction team. I had Miranda lead it. Um, I sent Jacob back with the crew, and he made it out fine. Oh yeah, uh, I did that too. I that. Yeah, because yeah. that's um, the one thing you want him to do. It's like you're useless. Just go take the crew back. <laughs> right, and that then he he had combat experience, so like uh, I, I was comfortable having him do it. Then um, 
I had Jack provide the uh, biotic barrier to go through the, the secret swarm. Mm. And that, that worked out fine, too. It was really cool when you got to the um, the exit and she did, like, this Dragon Ball Z like, <laughs> yeah. thing. And it was pretty awesome. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I destroyed the base. Didn't, didn't want to keep it. Had no second thoughts about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they're well, going to yeah. do in Mass Effect 3? They're going to hear this pod. Uh, they're going to hear this show and they're going to be like, fuck Patrick. We're going to make it so if you if you uh, didn't save the base, you needed the technology and you everyone dies. <laughs> if Patrick. that happens, if that happens, I'm going to cry. And I'll be so, like, oh, yeah, we're going to need to send this to the Bioware doctors right away. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love how we refer to them as Bioware doctors. That makes that makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do, man? I I had everybody survive as well. Actually, it took a few tries, but um, <laughs> yeah, should have said had... that earlier. Then we could eat you too. Oh, I yeah. Um, I had Zaid die um once. I don't know why. I just I had him lead the um the uh, uh team the first time instead of uh the distraction team. Yeah, and uh, he died, so I, I had to reload it, and um, I chose. Garrus, uh, excuse me, instead, and uh, he got out okay. And then um, I beat it once, and Morden died. Like, I got right to the end, and you just see him, uh, it doesn't show him dying, but it just, like, pans over his corpse as uh, collectors are running past it. So that was pretty Mm -hmm. sad, so I was like, okay, well, I have to do this again. And then... uh, (laughs) You really can't let Morden die. No, I, I, I was, of all the people, like, Morden died, so I was like, okay, I have to do this again. And um, mm. the third time I did it, everybody survived. Uh, I chose to destroy the station, and uh, I have a feeling that isn't going to mess up Mass Effect 3 too much. I, I don't think they're going to make it so completely different that Cerberus is hunting you for the entire game. Um, but uh, who knows? I might be wrong on that one. And uh, I, uh, I after Liara kind of dumped me after the first game, uh, I uh, just had I um, I did the the tally um, romance, but I didn't save most that. Unsatis- the uh, most unsatisfactory sex scene ever. Yeah, it was, mm. it was horrible. <laughs> um, it, she just like takes off the mask. You don't get to see her face, and then she just jumps you, and then that's it. Yep. Uh, and that is the biggest trade with Mass Effect 3. I want to see the Volus and the Koreans without their masks on. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I, give me that petition. I will sign. Yeah. That, that scene <laughs> with uh, Tally taking off her mask has become an internet meme now, and it's hilarious. Go, yeah. go, uh, go to uh, lsgeek.com slash boards and check it out. It's it's awesome. It, oh, it's it's insane. <laughs> we all know the, be- the best sex relationship to pursue is either Kelly, and if you can't get Kelly, go with Garrus. Because you, we've all been, we've all wanted Garrus since Mass Effect One. Let's be, let's be honest. <laughs> Even if we were playing guys, we wanted to see it. Come on, admit it. He's awesome. Um. So. Uh, wow. Okay. Yep. Sorry yeah. about that. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, Bioware has announced uh, that Mass Effect. Three will actually take a lot, lot, lot shorter time in the world development than Mass Effect Two did. Uh, they're basically going to use the same engine, which may- leads me to assume that it will be out sometime next year, perhaps Q two or maybe really? late Q one. I think they're going to speed this up. Cause, you think uh, only a year? You're, you're thinking only a year in the tubes, really? Well, the thing with Mass Effect Two was that it's 
sort of this bridge between Mass Effect 1 and 3, right? It's not really yeah. that substantial in terms of major plot points. And I think maybe they'll they'll sort of use that to, to their advantage. And if they have the engine, I think they certainly could, you know, just build a new game um, in that time. Or they might have even started, you know, a few months ago. So who knows? Uh, but more than that, uh, there's rumors going around that there's going to be a new race in DLC, uh, which would certainly be supported by the evidence of the unused room in the ship and, and the open slot on the character sheets. So... Um, We'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll get back to you guys. We'll talk about this probably if there's DLC out. We'll mention it here uh, on the next show or next next show or whatever. And uh, we'll probably try to discuss it on another speak as well if, if, if the guys there ever want to talk about it. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Next week, uh, we won't have a show because this show is going to be <laughs> every other month. And, oh, every, every other, other week, man. Every, every other, other week. Yeah, exactly. It'll, it'll be bi-weekly. Yeah. Uh, monthly. Not twice. We can't do this twice a week, guys. It's bi-monthly. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not made the same mistake. Yeah. <laughs> well, to wrap it up, uh, we're going to do Bioshock 2. Uh, you'll see me and Gavin again, and uh, probably two other guests. Who that's going to be right now, we're not sure of, but it'll be someone. Uh, rest assured of that. And uh, it'll be goodbye. Totally awesome as this episode. Exactly. Later. This is a mute ending, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>